welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show. I'm your host, Alex Zuma, and I'm super excited to be joined today by a SaaS entrepreneur from Belgium, who is co-CEO of one of the fastest growing SaaS startups of uh, European origin at the moment. Um, uh, so welcome to the show, uh, PTN Balton, uh, co-founder and CEO of Showpad. Thanks, uh, Alexander. Happy to be on the show. No, it's uh, great to have you on, on, on the show, uh, PTN. And uh, uh, and as you uh, have kindly given me permission, I'm, I'm going to uh, call you PJ from uh, uh, from henceforth, if uh, if that's okay. That's perfect. Okay, cool, PJ. So uh, and and we um, we met actually, I think, in person for the first time earlier this year, or actually not so long ago, at the uh, the, the European Growth Stars uh, uh, event. You were the growth star, not me, unfortunately. Um, yeah. but um, has, uh, uh, has 2016, as we're coming to the end, has it been a good year for you and for, for Showpad? Yeah, it's definitely been a, been a good year. I mean, we've uh, obviously, obviously we had our Series C um, raised this year. So um, with uh, Inside Venture Partners, we raised 50 million. That's a major milestone, of course. But I think aside, and I think, you know, you don't build a business to raise money. You build a business to grow a business, to get new customers, uh, to build a product, uh, to build a team. And, and, you know, on that level, it has been a great year for Showpad. We've, we've launched, uh, you know, a lot of new features on our product. Product. We welcomed a lot of new customers, and we, we doubled the team uh, from 100 to 200 people, both in in Europe and in the US. Um, so that's been really exciting for me. So, and it looks like we're going to be very close to our revenue target. So that's also really exciting because we we've been growing 100% year over year in the last five years, and we're going to be super close this year again. So that's really exciting. Excellent. So I mean, I, I got some uh, insights into your uh, revenue targets at that event, and so we'll, we'll come back to that. Um, uh, you know, in uh, in a few questions time. So before we, um, you know, go into more about, um, you, you know, Showpad sort of growth and, um, uh, you know, some questions we've got lined up around that, um, you know, let's get to know you a little bit better, um, you know, and, and Showpad as well. Um, so, you, you know, uh, who is uh, who is P.T. Ambalton? Um, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm uh, born, uh, born in Bruges, so I'm Belgian. Um, I've studied in, in Brussels and Leuven, uh, master in communication sciences, then did economics. Uh, spent a year uh, uh, in Barcelona doing Erasmus, and then uh, I actually started my career in uh, consulting at Accenture, uh, CRM implementations. And after two years, I was bored of wearing a suit every day. Uh, although I worked, but I. But I learned to work really hard and, and with some very smart people there. And then I started, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to join a, a startup and I joined Netlog.com, one of the, at that time, fastest growing social networks in, in Belgium. I was one of the early employees there, uh, built out the business development team. Uh, I saw a company that, I was at a company that had tremendous growth and then crashed because of Facebook and it was a great experience. I learned a lot and then that's when I started my first business in the pocket, a mobile agency focused on delivering uh, yeah, mobile apps to media companies, brands and from that we spun off Showpad. And I'm yeah, 35, I'm married, I have two kids, I live in Belgium, I spend, uh, Belgium is my home base but I spend a lot of time traveling. Uh, lived uh, for a longer period of time in, in the US in San Fran as well for six months last year doing the fundraise and uh, yeah and all in all I, I think I'm a, uh, a guy that loves tech, loves to build businesses, loves to work together with people and uh, yeah that's about it and other than that you know I try to do some sports now and then so uh, 
uh, did, did my first triathlon this year and want to do some more uh, next year. And yeah, just love traveling um, and spending time with my kids and, and, and wife. Okay, good stuff. Great uh, background there. And uh, interesting, um, as you say, that you, you span Showpad out of uh, your, your agency um, that you'd started up. So, um, yeah. you, you know, tell us a little bit uh, about, you know, why you did that, you know, and, and, and lead that into, you know, what is Showpad? Yeah, so basically we, you know, we started the mobile agency about seven years ago. And at that time, you know, smartphone penetration in Europe was about 10%. So it was still early days of, of you know, smartphones. You know, iPad just launched about then. And um, we started that agency with a focus on, okay, you know, there's going to be such an explosion of these devices and all of the all, a lot of companies and businesses will need to have solutions and services built for those devices, either mobile optimized sites or apps. So let's just get the best mobile developers uh, we can get in and build a company from that, and not not you know only a couple of months in into the business, I had a friend who uh, he owns a um, artificial grass company. Um, they do about 20, 30 trade shows every year. So basically, every two weeks, they have a trade show somewhere else in Europe. They had like a whole team traveling, uh, sales guys, and they needed content and um, to present and 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 to you know engage with people at the trade show. And basically, he was complaining what a mess it was to print all of those materials, to ship them around, that he couldn't actually know what all of his efforts in marketing if they actually paid off. Because if you share a brochure or, or a flyer or something, how do you know that things get you know? That that customer actually um, you know comes back or becomes a customer, mm -hmm. and so I said, look, why don't you start looking into something uh, more mobile, which you can track, where you can centralize the content, where marketing can have more control, where your sales reps are more productive. And I started thinking about the idea, and that's how uh, yeah, that's how we came up with Showpad, and we built him a first version, and it was so successful that yeah, we decided okay. You know, this has a lot of potential as a uh, a platform, as a product. And then, you know, we also saw that building a product company is something totally different than building a service business. And that to be successful, we had to like, we had to split both companies and, and give uh, the, the Showpad idea and, and kind of uh, the Showpad product uh, all of the opportunity. But it took us, in all honesty, it took us like two years to fully separate Louis and myself um, because Louis is my co-founder, co-CEO, mm -hmm. to separate us from uh, the agency. Because, of course, the agency was like, it was very addictive in terms of, you know, we were doing very well. You, you make a nice margin. If you do well, you, you make some good money. Mm -hmm. But on the other side, it draws away all of the attention of the product you want to build. Mm -hmm. And and it's, it's quite hard because you only have uh, 24 hours in a day. And you also have employees in the first company. And you need to attract new people into the other company and it's kind of like yeah like the first two years are quite like were difficult just in a matter of focus but once we raised money uh, and did our first round of funding the good thing was that we were at that time we were ready to do it because we from an organizational perspective and then when you have vcs uh, into the company there's no other way right they want you to focus 100 percent on 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 what you they just invested in so that also helped them to really focus 100% on Showpad, and that was 2013. Okay, okay, so so yeah, so you, you've, you've been doing the uh, Showpad for almost six years, but really three years, you know, all in 
once yep. you've had the VC money. Um, Correct. Uh, and, and who was uh, who was the first uh, investor, and how much have you raised then since two thousand and thirteen? So first investor was Hummingbird Ventures, uh, European VC, a small team, uh, but you know great people. Uh, Barent uh, van der Brande, he came on board as uh, he came in our board uh, as uh, as our first uh, board member and, and VC. So we raised 1.6 million euros, so about two million dollars in in 2013. Um, then we raised another round with the guys from Don Capital, mm -hmm. uh, who are based in London. Um, that was about uh, eight million, eight and a half million dollars um, back in uh, 2014, and then um, we raised about 50 million dollars with the guys from Inside Ventures in, in May of this year. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so yeah, so roughly like 60, uh, 60 plus. Yeah, roughly 60, 60 million, something like that. Yeah. Okay. 60 million. Very, very, very good, and uh, a nice kind of war chest there for uh, to to help you scale. Um, yeah. you, you know, for the for the future, I, I'm assuming most of that 60 million is still in the bank, right? And yeah. um, uh, and and then you so at the Growth Stars event sort of earlier, you you know you shared in terms of you know what your revenue target you know is on, a, on an ARR basis for the 2016. Yeah. Are you kind of happy to share with the audience of? You know what you're expecting to uh, uh, to to be at. Um, you know by the end of this year. Yeah, so we started the company 2013. Yeah, so 2011, and so since then we've been focused on always doubling our revenue. Mm -hmm. We started the year uh, with about eight, uh, with about 10 million dollars in ARR, mm -hmm. and we'll end the year. It's gonna be. It's not gonna be 20, but it's gonna be you know close to 20. It's gonna be somewhere in the 18 uh, neighborhood. But 20 was super ambitious, so we're gonna have about. Uh, 80% growth, uh, something like that. That's where we're focused on. And I think it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's, uh, it also depends. You can have extreme growth, um, but it also depends on how much you're going to burn, right? Um, and I think that's something you want to just keep in balance as a company. Um, and that's been our main challenge this year in terms of we've been growing very aggressively. And, um, you know, throughout the year, we started the year with focusing really uh, hard on, on making sure we get enough you know, if you grow so aggressively, you're adding so much ARR, you need to scale aggressively your customer success team because you're onboarding so many customers. Then the renewals kick in and you also realize, oh, you know, there's so much renewal that we're going to do in the next, you know, not only this year, but also then the, the year after that, those people need time to ramp, need time to understand the product, the market. So then you're you're very aggressive on, on the customer success hiring. You're very aggressive on the sales hiring because you you know, it takes, you know, anywhere, depending on the segment, six to 12 months for before sales rep at Showpad is fully ramped. So that, you know, kicks in. And, and so you start to do very aggressive hiring. And then not to forget, you need to build the product. There's, you know, uh, a lot of the, you know, focus went as well in building our engineering team, building our product team. And that's what we've been, been doing this year. And, you know, I'm, yeah, I think you know if I look at the race, if we look at the ratios of Showpad in terms of cost efficiency, in terms of the growth we have, um, in terms of um, how much we spend on, on on marketing and what the return is, then uh, yeah, I mean, then we're very happy, and I think it's been a very exciting year for us. And 2017 even looks, yeah, I, I believe there's going to be more growth because we, the average time a person 
has been at our company today is about nine months. So if we take the average tenure of everybody at Showpad today, 31st, if we take that 31st of December, for example, it's going to be nine months. So it means a lot of people are, are not yet at um, their, their peak of productivity or and there's so much more potential there. So that's what really excites me. Okay, so we're gonna you're gonna uh, you're gonna hit fifty million uh, by the end of two thousand and seventeen. Yeah, and, uh, well, I still I still have to do a board meeting, uh, the, the finalizing the budget. So I'm not gonna say how much we're gonna do in two thousand seventeen. Yeah. So we're still we're, we're looking into that right now. Well, Let's wait uh, where we end the year, and uh, that's obviously an important uh, benchmark. And then let's see how uh, how that translates into uh, into next year. Well, I think uh, but um, for sure for sure ag- aggressive growth for sure. Uh, we want to remain a top tier SaaS company, and then you you need to have a, you know show aggressive growth numbers. And aggressive growth is anywhere for me that's anywhere in between seventy to one hundred percent or more, of course, growth. But we're also an enterprise SaaS business, right? It's not yeah. you know consumer based. It's not you know we you know we have we're dependent on. Um, the sales and marketing transformation that is going on, we're dependent on kind of like sales enablement becoming more of a topic at more companies. Um, and, and that's a market which is maturing. Um, there's some big players emerging there. Shopat is, is, is one of the leaders there. Um, but we still have, again, a long way to go, but that's also why we raise a considerable, considerable amount of money. And we really look at it from the long term. We never took any real shortcuts in terms of building the company and I, I believe as well as an entrepreneur you need to have some patience sometimes uh, it's hard for entrepreneurs uh, I don't have much patience but building a business is just it can take time and it's uh, um, you know it's it's quite hard in terms of uh, I think the the people aspect um, yeah the, the bigger you get becomes even more and more important like how you organize a team the executives that you have on your team um how you set the vision for the company how do you manage multiple locations stuff like that that becomes increasingly yeah challenging and, and that's why you need also attract the right experience and um so, and so, then yeah yeah so so, so talking about in in terms of you, you know setting up the team um you, you know actually to when you set up the company um, you know, you're, uh, as we mentioned, you're co-CEO, uh, right? Yeah. And I, I've seen this a couple of times. I mean, I know Typeform, they have co-CEOs. Uh, I, can't, yeah. I can't remember. I'm sure there, 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 there's another, um, a couple of, you know, examples and great yeah. examples and it's working. You know, why did you, you know, make this decision for you and Louis to become, you know, co-CEO rather than one is CEO, yeah. one COO or, or whatever? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, how, how does this work for you? Yeah. So originally, when when I started, when we started the company, um, I, I was the CEO of the company. Uh, Louis was was more focused on. I, I actually don't remember what his exact title was, but he was m- more a bit more focused on at that time. Definitely more the, the sales and also uh, the, a little bit the product side. Um, although we, we both did a lot of product. Then when we started to going to the US, and Louis, my co-founder at that time, moved to the US, we decided to really officially switch to. Uh, co-CEO titles because he would effectively run and build the US operation, although I also spend a lot of time there. But it's, uh, you know, if you want to attract talent in the US is what people like to work for, uh, somebody who's in charge and who has that title. And at the end of the day, Louis and myself, all important decisions we would take together. So I wouldn't take any major strategy decisions or, you know, thing, decide anything in Europe or maybe even globally on a product level or on any other thing without 
discussing it with him and vice versa. So we've been historically, we've been working together with kind of like there always has been kind of like a, how you say it, some uh, some vagueness about like where does one, you know, what is like, it was not like that we fully put on paper or aligned or made it very clear to the company, PJ does this, Louis does this. And actually, if you have a, if you have a good collaboration between Louis and myself, and then also with your team, it really helps because um, there's, you know, people can't, you know, if, if they're talking to Louis, they're talking to me. If they're talking to me, they're talking to Louis. So it's kind of like if, if you really have a great way of collaboration with your co-CEO, that can work. Now that Chopin has come to a certain size, you know, we're contemplating 2017, we might make some some um, small changes on that. And Louis will probably focus a bit more on the product. I will focus a bit more on the operational uh, side of, of things and maybe be kind of more, uh, have more CEO role and Louis will have a more chief product officer role and we'll define it a bit more if you're a 200 people company, it's needed. But definitely the first five or six years, mm-hmm. we found it very powerful. Um, but you have to, again, have complete trust in each other. You have to have complete transparency with each other. You have to dare to have the tough discussions with each other. Um, Louis and myself, we haven't been, we weren't friends before we started the business. And I think that's been really powerful for us as a, as a, in our co-CEO-ship. Louis was a colleague at Netlock. That's where we met. We started our first business together because we saw that we shared the same passion for technology because we, we both had, you know, the entrepreneurial kind of spirit and wanted to, you know, do some, you know, build something of our own. Um, and, and we like to um, work with people and we were able to convince them of our vision and attract them. And we could both do that. So Louis is both very good in sales and product uh, in marketing and strategy. And, and we'll, we actually have a very similar skill set. Um, and that's maybe unique in the co-CEO ship thing because usually you see one technical co-founder and one maybe more business-oriented person mm-hmm. um, and, and they will have maybe also a co-CEO ship role and, and you know, really have clearly defined responsibilities as an individual. Louis and myself had clearly defined responsibilities as co-CEOs and that's setting the vision of the company, attracting the best talent, making sure we, we focus on having a, a good roadmap making sure that um, sales, and if Louis would be in the US, he's of course more closer to the US sales team and I would be closer to the European sales team or customer success team. But at the end of the day, the, the first five or six years of, of Showpad, that has been our strength. Right now, I, you know, we both feel that we're at a stage where we do have to more clearly define, uh, define things mm-hmm. um, because of the, the size of the company, the footprint of the company, um, and, and in 2017, so there, there will be some, some small changes uh, there. But fundamentally, nothing will really change in, in, in the fact that, in the fact that we, will, we, we take um, all decisions, important decisions. We'll just talk a lot about them and take them together. And in the last six years, we never had a situation where we disagreed on the more the most important topics in terms of strategy, roadmap, go to market, hiring, and again, you can have really intense discussions as co-CEOs, and I think that's good. If you don't have them, I think probably you have a wrong partner or wrong, you know, co-CEO or however you want to call it. If if you're working in a certain setup and building a company with somebody else, I do believe 
that uh, you need to have those tough discussions else there's if, if you agree too much that would be strange but at the end of the day the most important thing is then to, to usually good things come out of it and, and louis and myself not being friends in the first place but being more colleagues and like business was our first like um, trigger to work together and of course now over the last five six years we've become very close friends and and we spend a lot of time even in the weekends or with our families together if, if i'm in the us and and, and um, or he's in belgium um but um but still during the day and a lot of our discussions even if we're just uh, hanging out it's, it's going to be we're going to talk business we're going to talk strategy roadmap of showpad things like that so um to great agony of our wives, of course. <laughs> and and your, your, your role, or, you know, just in general, the role of the CEO evolves as the company grows, right? Um, yeah. So your role as CEO next year will look maybe a little bit different than it did, you know, this year. But what did it look like, um, you know, as you were going towards your first, you know, one million ARR? What, what were you doing, uh, you know, as CEO? Was it, you know, sales? Was it hiring? Was it kind of everything? Um, you know, what did you do it's to get it, to the first? It's minute? really kind of everything. Yeah. Like from more, a lot of time on the product. Uh, Louis and myself, we closed pretty much the first 500K in ARR. Mm -hmm. we, both, we both did all of the sales meetings. And so all of the first customers, we closed them usually together. We, we were on the road a lot with our car, driving around, uh, selling Showpad. We, we, we did a lot of face-to-face, -face, but also even like the WebExes or we had or some of our first customers were in the US and Louis and myself basically did all of the demos and the, the selling ourselves. And so it was everything from the website to the messaging on the website through thinking, of, you know, creating the one pagers um, to um, presenting at conferences or um, again, even doing the we, we didn't have like an internal finance person, so I would just do it together with the, our accountant. Uh, the, so from finance to signing the payments every Friday, make sure everybody gets paid to to even yeah buying the furniture or even putting the furniture together. So we pretty much did a you know pretty much a, again very broad background. I think Louis and myself a very broad skill set, which sometimes also makes it uh, again if, if you. As you evolve, you of course have to have a bit more focus, and you have to also learn. I really had to learn that to mm. delegate more, and you know, focus more on giving the right feedback instead of trying fixing things yourself. And still, that's sometimes a challenge. I'm a guy who also sometimes likes to dig in, and I think that's needed as well. But sometimes you also have to be able to zoom out and then make sure you can give proper guidance and you set longer term goals and you can motivate people and encourage them and give feedback and that's something as a as the company grows and goes through these different growth stages you just keep learning i, I feel like i'm never i'm never there uh, in terms of like how you manage the team how you communicate um if you're building a company for five six years that's a, a very you know intense period of time or that's a long period of time to be really working very hard so you have to make sure as well to see it as a, in the beginning i saw it too much as a sprint and like you, you work these 20 hour days uh, and then like skip some nights and, and again but over six years that's harder to maintain so at a certain moment you start to focus a bit more on building the team around you that can you know finance you know check 
marketing check, sales check, just have somebody who owns it. But of course, you still don't have to give feedback. Even if you hire extremely talented and savvy people who, who know marketing or sales or customer success way better than you, you're still going to have to give them feedback, give them guidance, even if they're 15 years older and have seen maybe a lot more uh, things. It's still important to align them with kind of your vision your view on, on how the market will evolve, your view of the company you want to build, the values that you think that are important. And you just learn that by making a lot of mistakes, making, you know, on the hiring. I think that's the toughest part. I think there, that's probably one of the most important things as a CEO you can do is make sure you hire extremely good managers, good executives around you. And then make sure as well, set the standard very high to the people that they bring in and then try to be still, I'm, I'm still involved in, and Louis as well, every still, I mean, we're only 200 people, so you can still, we interview a lot of people, but in the later stages of the interview process, I always like to be involved, have a chat with the people, make sure, you know, you, you ask the, the, the important uh, questions or not, it's not the important question, but, you know, try to make sure from a cultural perspective you have a great person from a, usually when a person gets to me i'm pretty sure that from a skill set perspective it will be checked then and people will have challenged that person and have scrutinized him or her but at the end of the day there's also something like gut feel and kind of like trying to probe if this person will be a good fit in the team and that's something i still believe that having interviewed almost everybody here uh, in europe for example i can quickly know um if somebody will be fit or not so has has then you know as you say has hiring been one of the major you know challenges uh you know of, of scaling show pads um would that be fair to say or uh, i think hiring is for probably for any startup a fast-growing startup will be a challenge mm-hmm. um it's definitely a challenge in terms of the speed right if you bring we hired 100 people last year that means to hire 100 people we generally will have you know, did, I don't, I should check the exact numbers, but we had a couple of thousand people applying uh, for a job at Showpad. Eventually you hire a hundred. There's a lot of CV reviewing, phone interviews, interviews with people. So as an organization, you spend a tremendous, a lot for a lot of the hiring, we don't have a very big HR, we call it employee success team. So for a lot of the hiring, you're dependent of your managers and the team there, but those managers are also, have to deal and, and, and um, to trying to get to their targets, to, to scale the team, to bring more process, to, to make sure that customers are served. So it puts a lot of uh, pressure on the organization in terms of time that you spend on hiring. And, and that's why I think it's really important. We implemented uh, Greenhouse, which helps us, helped us a lot in terms of building some process, building interview um, guides, building scorecards or we focused a lot on building more process around our hiring so that we can uh, have a clear view of the pipeline, see how people are moving through, make sure that we ask the right questions, that there's notes, that there's history. And then um, at the end of the day, it comes down to, are you able to attract the very best talent? So I, I believe for every startup, that's a challenge. Another challenge in our domain is sales enablement as a category has been around for quite a, 
quite a while actually already. There are sales enablement companies like uh, a Savo, for example, who have been around I don't know how long, but like at least more than ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, but the, for us as well, it's kind of the maturity of the market. There's we we're not at a stage where people wake up and say, oh, I need a sales enablement solution. Um, there's more and more companies looking into it and, and understanding it's a category and understanding what the benefits are. But we are still very much you know, in a phase where we have to do quite a lot of education with our customers, what our solution is about. We also, that means that we also have to train and educate a lot of our own people and then getting them ramped up is also a challenge. Um, and so, but there's all these great, again, um, things you can do to to speed that up, and for us internally, we, we give a lot of training. We try to expose people a lot to sales and marketing leaders, and then in the market, we just try to be the leader, the thought leader, get more of our message out there, um, work with analysts, work with um, uh, industry leaders and experts, and and to make sure that your category. Um, it's growing and you can clearly see sales enablement as such and sales productivity, s- scaling sales excellence ha- is a major and aligning sales and marketing is, is becoming increasingly important because the last 10 years, a lot of companies spend optimizing the marketing side of things. So they implement the marketing automation, they implemented Marketo, HubSpot, all of these great solutions. They're, they have Google Analytics, they have all these conversion numbers and know and track what's happening online. But the moment there's human interaction in terms of a salesperson, uh, bottom of the funnel that, you know, when you're selling more complex products to, either you're selling complex products or you sell something maybe simple, but that needs to be decided by multiple buyers or you sell the combination complex products to a complex buying or decision-making unit. A solution like Showpad there is really helpful because it makes sure that marketers understand what's happening, have more control of the message, and that sales reps can really have the right information, have better conversations, and can be more productive. And But to get that demand from the market takes a combination of yeah, building the market for yourself, owning some of the messaging there, becoming a thought leader, and I think that's for many companies a, a real challenge, depending on the maturity of your market. Um, and, and that's why you have to have some patience and combine it with relentless execution on the product side, make sure you have a product that delivers value, especially in the enterprise. If you can do that, um, a lot of the magic happens. I'm not going to say by itself, but we have a very much a land and expand model. So we know the most difficult thing for us is finding the customer or attracting them and then but once we close them or once they're in our pipeline we have a very high close ratio mm-hmm. and we grow them very well so for us the challenge is really just get more customers into the pipeline because we you know it's basically greenfield in many solutions it's not super competitive yet and we have very high close ratios and a great product and, and we already have proven in the last years we can grow them and renew them so um, so the challenge is really on the on the marketing slash demand gen side, I would say, uh, aside from the hiring. Okay. And, and um, we're coming to, I think, like the, the, the final two questions, um, you know, for the, for the show. So can you um, maybe shed some uh, light on maybe uh, some mistakes that you've made in scaling the company, um, uh, maybe that for those that are listening that they could uh, avoid? Um, uh, are there any that, that kind of spring to mind? Uh, that you're happy to talk about? 
Yeah, there's a, I would say it's a long list. <laughs> uh, but I, I think it's usually like you make, I think people need to learn to fail small and then quickly, you know, you can fail very big, but then if you fail in a big way and it's like threatening the existence of your company, it can be uh, yeah. very painful as well. I've had, I think I'd show that we never had any really big failures, um, uh, but I can list a couple of um, things or where we really learned uh, some lessons the hard way. So one of the first one was uh, when we started Showpad, we were really we really believed that um, it was actually a channel play. We believed that we would build build our solution and that then other agencies, content agencies, creative agencies would resell us, and and that we would they would be um, um, the yeah the sales engine of, of our growth. And after one year of doing that, we had actually several resellers that were selling Showpad in a good way. We were making money, but the problem was most of, and, but we did also some direct sales. Um, but the problem was that our product was changing so fast that the customers were unhappy because they weren't serviced in the, in the right way because all of the communication and service and sales ran through those resellers. And so that learned us like on paper, resellers or indirect models look really great, but you need to have a quite a mature product and a really good communication and documentation and, and flows around that. And we didn't have that. And so we had to change that and it cost us quite some money because we had to buy away all of the contracts from those resellers and stuff like that. So that could have been, that was like a near, a small near death experience already in the early stages of our company. Uh, second lesson learned was we, uh, second big mistake was we didn't like, spend enough time and focus on, uh, it was a very basic mistake, but we, we didn't register all of our kind of like trademarks and brands in the proper way. We thought we did, we had done so, but we took a, a cheap, uh, a cheap lawyer that didn't give us the right advice. And yeah, we ended up eventually somebody snagged away our original trademark. We had to like settle with him. Like again, it, at that, it costed us something like 50 or 70 K, but at that time, we hadn't raised any money yet. Mm. Uh, so because the first two years, Showpad just refinanced it ourselves to the profit from our first company. So we were paying that with our like own dollars. And at that stage, uh, again, uh, that was like really, yeah, very, very tough lesson. I go, damn, why did we take like, why didn't we spend more attention to that? And a third, you know, it's not a big mistake, but it's something that also happens and shows that uh, you just have to like, you can... I think the, the, you make mistakes anyway. I think it's how you fix them and how fast you fix them as a as a startup that really makes a difference. And we, our first US office, for example, was in New York. We hired about three to four people. They're actually really good people. Um, but our the problem for for Showpad was that for some reason we didn't get we, we didn't get to the right traction as a as a company. There we weren't in in a certain yeah. In terms of customers in New York, we, we didn't find the right vibe. In terms of then growing the teams and making the right connections into like where we could see our company grow and scale there. And for some reason, New York wasn't a fit for us. And after three or four months, we said, okay, man, we, we hired some great people here, but longer term, we, we don't see it happening here. We were spending more time on the West Coast. There were more enterprise SaaS companies there that you know were closer to Showpad and, and more closer to our you know the sales and marketing ecosystem and, and so we decided after three months in new york to to close our office there and then move to san francisco and yeah it was tough because we had to let go of some really good people actually after only working together with them 
for a short amount of time and, and move the office. So those are some of the yeah, those are some of the the things. And for me, the lesson learned there is yeah, we made it was a tough call at that time, wrong decision to go to New York for us, but um, but eventually we ended up in San Fran where. Uh, it's even more expensive uh, in hindsight, but uh, but we, we really were able to attract the right talent for Showpad. It was a great environment because from a partnership perspective and ecosystem and like other entrepreneurs and people who are just working on more, of, more similar things like Showpad, it was just a better environment to be in. Well, um, you know, I think uh, on that note, I mean, really, um, you know, in, in, insightful uh, answer there, and in, in, really interesting to uh, hear about those, you know, three different uh, mistakes and the impact, uh, you know, on, on your business at the various sort of different stages. And you know, the last question was going to be, you know, what are your, your kind of hints and tips to SaaS founders out there? But I think throughout the uh, the podcast, there, there's been lots of you know hints and tips and lessons on on how to scale uh, uh, the, the SaaS business. So uh, you know, on, on that yeah. note, uh, you, you know, I think um, we, we've come to the end of the show, uh, uh, PJ. And uh, you know, I just want to thank you for being an awesome guest. Um, um, you, you know, it's great to learn about um, you and Showpad and your scaling story uh, to date. And so you're one of the uh, one of the growth stars, and uh, we're expecting to uh, uh, you know follow your path to 100 million uh, uh, ARR in the next couple of years. Um, yeah, uh, that's yeah. that's where we want to get. That's it. So yeah. come, we'll c- come back on the show, uh, uh, assuming we're still doing it when you're you're at uh, 100 million ARR, and um, we'll, we'll see how long it took you. Um, but, right. but yeah, no. Thanks for being such a great guest. Um, uh, I hope you close out uh, uh, the year strongly and uh, round up that eighteen million to uh, uh, to twenty million ARR. Um, yeah, and um, yeah, we will. Uh, so uh, thanks, BC Ambu uh, Bowton, co CEO of Showpad, uh, uh, for being a great guest on the SaaS Revolution Show. And for those listening at home, if you like this episode uh, of the podcast, we'd love it if you rate and review us on on iTunes. And we'll see you next time.